Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Woohoo! Yes, let's do it. Clap for those mamas. I've been walking around telling all the moms this morning, congratulations, you made it through another year of motherhood. Um, we've made it. Uh, so happy Mom's Day. Online, welcome. We are so glad you are joining us. If you are online, say hello in the chat so we know that you are with us and we can say hello. I'm Stephanie, if we haven't met, and I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Christ Center. Uh, this morning, I'm going to ask you guys a question, and some of you honestly will be like, what is she talking about? But a few years ago, probably more than a few, there was a book that came out, and it had something to do with either communication or marriage, I'm not really sure. But this is what I remember about the book. The author was making the point that men and women think differently. Maybe. Uh, and I know, you know, this might not be true across the board, but for Steve and I, it really, it really hit home. <laughs> we think uh, very differently. And I'm telling you that because, and the premise that they made was that men think more like a waffle. So that men tend to, for the most part, and again, not across the board, but a lot of men compartmentalize their thinking. So yeah, I'm getting amens over here in the corner. So, um, you know, this thing is not in any way connected to this thing. So as they go about their day and they're thinking, they put things in these little waffle squares. And the book suggested that us women may think more like a bowl of spaghetti. That every thought is somehow all connected in this big bowl. And how many of us women would agree and say, oh yeah, that's true of me, right? So uh, the neighbor dog bit the mailman, and that's somehow connected to my oldest child going to Central Washington University, which is somehow connected to my neighbor that moved to Arizona and my job this morning, right? We, we somehow make correlation between all the things. So this is a fair warning. <laughs> uh, I am spaghetti. And this morning, um, I've been given the challenge of talking to you both about some of our values at Christ Center and about being a mama. And so this morning, I'm just going to tell you, if you're more of a waffle thinker, just try to sit back and just try your best to enjoy, enjoy the spaghetti. Uh, I am what is called here at Christ Center the Director of Adult Discipleship, which is a whole bunch of words, and every time I introduce myself that way, a whole conversation happens in my head. The conversation goes like this. Do I even know what that means? Discipleship is such an old word. Um, when I say it at church, what do people think, or do they honestly even care and they're just waiting for the rest of the story? So two weeks ago, our executive director, Tim, talked about who we are as a church, who we are as Christ Center. And he touched on our mission. And our mission is really two things. It's two actions. It is leading people to the love of Jesus, simple, and then making disciples. So there's that word again, discipleship. Disciples, old word, what does it mean? So in the days of Jesus... A disciple was one of the guys, one of his 12 guys that followed him around. They were studying him. They were trying to figure out what to make of him. But they were doing life with Jesus day in, day out for 12, um, or the 12 of them for three and a half years. Uh, sometimes they're also called the apostles, so you might hear them called the 12 apostles as well. Today what discipleship means is this. A follower or student of a teacher a leader, or a philosopher. 
A lot of us would say we are disciples of Jesus, meaning that we are either studying him, we're trying to figure him out, we're learning about him, or we've actually said, no, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus. Either way, it takes guidance. I still have people in my life that are farther on the faith journey than me, and from time to time I need wisdom, I need counsel, I need help, I need to figure out how to do this thing called following Jesus, and they help me. At some point in most of our lives, we come across these questions. How do I become a student of Jesus? How do I follow Jesus? What does that mean? What does that look like? So my role as director of adult discipleship is to create spaces for that to happen, to create spaces where we can learn about Jesus, we can learn to follow him. Uh, also, and then once that happens, so alpha would be an example of that, small groups would be an example of that, and then once that's happening, my job is to continue to maintain those things, continue to find new and fresh ways for that to happen. At the same time, Heather is doing that in Christ Center Kids. She's helping our kiddos learn who is Jesus. You know, we're a long ways away from when he walked the earth, and so we have to learn about him. And then what does it mean to follow him? And Kelsey is doing the same thing with our students. Last week, Steve talked about two of our five Christ Center values. He talked about our number one value here at Christ Center is following Jesus. That's it, following him. And then our second one is spending time with God. And the reason that that's a value is because Jesus spent time with God. Throughout the Bible, it says that Jesus would get away with his father. So today I'm going to follow up with the final three Christ Center values, and these come as a result of following Jesus. Sorry, I was gardening yesterday and sweating a lot, and I'm extra thirsty this morning. Um, okay, connecting in our community is a value, and we do that because Jesus did that. Serving as Jesus did, and living generously as Jesus did. And when we think about the word value, a definition of value that I really like is this. Value is the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. And to remember this, think back to 2020, when many of us became freshly aware of how much we value toilet paper. It is useful. Another definition of value is one's judgment, and this is really what I want to get at this morning, one's judgment of what is important in life. We're all here because on some level, figuring out spirituality, figuring out Jesus is important. What is important in life? Also, because we as a society recognize that without mothers, there would be no us, we place a high value on moms. They are important to our very existence and to our cycle of life. Because today is Mother's Day, I was thinking about the value of moms, and the question, I was driving down the highway, and the question popped into my head, what do I really think of when I think of moms? And these three things came to mind. Birth, nurturing life outside of the womb, and family connections, connecting in family. And before I go on, I wanna, I wanna say this, and it's really important. I am not just talking to moms who have given birth. I'm talking to all moms. Mother Teresa was one of the greatest moms that ever walked this earth. And she did give birth, but she gave birth to ministries. She gave birth to taking care, building ministries and programs that took care of the least of these, the poorest of the poor. And so you can be a mom without ever having 
carried a pregnancy or um, birthed a baby, Mother Teresa is a really powerful example of that. And it takes all of us, male, female, all of us, to grow, birth, and develop new life. So this thought about the essence of a mother was sitting in my spaghetti bowl uh, right next to the realization that our three Christ-centered values today are intertwined with motherhood very closely. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is generosity. We as a church value generosity. And when a woman is pregnant and growing life, her body is literally giving generously of itself. For nine months, so that a new life can be safely grown to a point that it can then be birthed and it can then sustain life outside of the womb. A mother's body during that time is not allotting out and budgeting. It's not saying, oh, I think I can afford to give you X amount of protein here. It's also not saying, oh, I'm just too tired to grow a baby today. Uh, it's not saying it's too busy. Rather, the body, our bodies, are created, tired or not, to give what is generously needed. When our grandson was born, so you guys got to forgive me, but, you know, it's my first grandbaby, so I thought I'm up here, I should brag. Um, when our first grandbaby was born, he was nine pounds, two ounces. Big baby. And he has been generously fed. He had been generously fed during the time in his womb, and now he is thriving. And I think we have a picture because I just am a proud grandma. <laughs> Do we have it up there? Look at that little chunk. He's still thriving a year later. Okay, for nine months, the mother's body is not her own. She has offered it up for the joy set before her for a new life. Her body is giving what it has so this new life can grow. Often she generously endures morning sickness, vein strain, feet growth. Nobody told me about feet growth. I did not know. I was a young mom. So when I first got pregnant, I was a shoe size seven. You're going to all look at my feet now. Um, seven and a half. When I was done giving birth to our third born, nine and a half. Seriously, I wear, I wear a nine and a half now. Nobody told me about that. Other things that happen to our bodies, blurry vision, numbness and tingling, Yes, this is starting to sound like one of those commercials you see on TV where they put the really happy family having all this fun. Meanwhile, they're talking about all the bad things that are going to happen to you when you take this medicine. Numbness, tingling, fluid retention, skin problems, mood swings, exhaustion, being off balance in every way. Toward the end, this mother cannot find a comfortable position to sleep and needs help getting her shoes on and tied. I didn't know, again, that there was such a thing as a pregnancy pillow. Yep, those are really important. So this is a picture's worth a thousand words, right? Pregnancy is beautiful, they said. You'll glow, they said. And if you can tell, her feet are extremely swollen. As a church, as a church, we are a body that values generosity. Because we understand that our greatest joy is connected to the growth and birth of souls created for eternity. Souls. That's what it's about. The book of Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has set eternity, eternity, think about that. God has set eternity in the heart of man. In every human soul is a God-given awareness that there is something more than this temporary world. I've been talking about a mother and how for nine months her body physically gives. 
And for many of us, there was a point in our lives where all of a sudden we went, there's got to be more. Or we became restless, or we felt empty inside, and we started looking for something to fill that void. And that something is because eternity is in there. And that is our, like, alarm system that we're looking for something more. We're looking for something for our spirit and our soul. We were, some of us were lucky enough that when we got to that point, that there was somebody or some church that gave generously of their resources, their time, their energy, their giftings to nourish us as we grew to a point where we were ready to be born spiritually. The Bible calls this being born again. So we're going to talk about that. But I just want to ask, how many of you either had a church or a person that gave of themselves to help disciple you? Yeah, a lot of us. So that we could get to that place where we could be born again. When Jesus was here on earth, telling people about God the Father and explaining that he, Jesus, was God's son. So for three and a half years, he was telling people about God, telling them about who he was, that he had come to earth so people could experience God in a very real and tangible way. At, to that point, all they had was this like, you know, this God in the sky, and, there, and many people believed in many different gods, and so Jesus came to be real and walk God with skin on so people could understand who God was and the character of God. And some began to truly believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and some denied what they were literally seeing with their own eyes. They were seeing miracles. They were seeing a supernatural power, and they were denying it. Some of the Jesus deniers were the religious leaders of the day, Interesting. So some of, the, some of the loudest deniers of Jesus were the spiritual leaders. For many reasons, they didn't want to believe that Jesus was truly the Son of God, even though they were seeing supernatural things. They were seeing healing, healings. They were seeing people that were shackled to something, and they could break the shackles because they had so much evil and wicked and demon possession in them. Um, and so they were seeing supernatural things, but they had their religious system, which gave them power, and it gave them control, and they didn't want to let go of that control. They didn't want to let go of that power. One of these religious leaders was a man named Nicodemus, and John 3 tells us that Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So the Jewish people were God's people at that time. They were the people that were supposed to be helping everyone else know the character and the true heart of God. And so he was one of their leaders, and he comes to Jesus at night. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So we see Nicodemus here, and he's wrestling with something. He's wrestling with what he's always been taught, the way he's always been taught it, and yet he's seeing something really different. He was taught religion, and he was seeing Jesus. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So what's happening here with Nicodemus is he's seeing, he, the, the, the shade is starting to open just a little bit, and he's starting to go, 
maybe there's something more. And so he actually goes and asks Jesus, and Jesus says, well, part of your problem, Nicodemus, is you can't see because you haven't been born again. So Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. And what is happening here, what Jesus is saying here, is we've all been born of water. We've all been born in an earthly way from our mothers. But Jesus is saying there's two births. There's a physical birth that we all experience, and then there is a birth of the spirit. We, I've talked a lot when I'm up here about just that idea that at some point we come to recognize that we're not just this, that there's something inside of here as well. Jesus goes on to say that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And what Jesus knew was that Nicodemus was, his spirit was stirring. He was starting to go, gosh, there must be something more than religion. There must be something more. And Jesus, I think you're it. And Jesus is affirming him and saying, yes, I am it. You must be born of the spirit. At some point, our spirits need to be born into faith in the one true God. As humans, we can produce, reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit, when I say the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, which is here and present, gives birth to spiritual life. Listen, this, I'm going to say this twice because this is so good. Birth is the beginning of life. To be born again is to begin to live anew, having put our faith in God. Let me say it one more time. Birth is the beginning of life. To be born again is to begin to live anew, having put our faith in God. We at Christ Center recognize that God is doing this, that God